My story actually started quite a few months before I was born. My late father, Taban Mark, who was working with, uh, with the Sudan Armed Forces, he was actually one of the people who were coordinating the resistance within Juba that was supporting the movement. Uh, by then, the SPLM, they were, they were still, you know, the current government, they were still fighting the Sudanese uh, government. In 1992, a brutal civil war was ongoing in the East African country of Sudan as the south of the country fought for its independence from the north. The father of our guest today was one of the leaders of this war in the south. And for our guest, even before he was born, this war was going to shape his entire life. So my father and uh, some of his colleagues, they coordinated the internal resistance. And uh, unfortunately, in 1992, he and uh, you know, a couple of his colleagues were arrested by the Sudan security. The family never saw him again. And then by then, I, was, um, I wasn't yet born. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was in my mother's uh, womb, uh, three, uh, three months uh, old in my mother's womb. Uh, so so uh, these things, I, I came and I had it later from my mom. Very interesting story that my mom told me is that uh, when, the, when the Sudanese national security came to arrest him, because he knew by then my mom was pregnant, and he told my mom, if this child that you are having, you know, uh, is a boy, uh, named him Stephen, and, and uh, if, if it's a girl named her, Stella. And that boy named Stephen is our guest today. Named according to the instructions of his father he never met, Three decades later, Stephen has lived through the evils of war and finally witnessed the independence of the country his father fought for. But unfortunately, things have not turned out the way he hoped. After independence um, in 2011, we didn't really enjoy the fruit of our independence, you know. We didn't uh, get to live, you know, the hopes, the, the, all these beautiful things that we want to see in South Sudan. We haven't seen them. So, so, so this is really disappointing to a lot of us, uh, especially, you know, to me, uh, because I feel like, okay, you know, what have we done? Uh, our fathers, you know, uh, gave their life for this country. But when we look at this country today, there is no difference from what, you know, it was, you know, back in 1992 when I was born or even before that. But Stephen is not giving up. As a youth of South Sudan, he has resolved to carry on the hopes and dreams of his father and of his people. But not from the barrel of a gun, but from the might of his intellects. So how exactly is he doing this? My name is Jewel Atador Bright, and welcome to the Climb Podcast, where we tell extraordinary stories of the African youth. My name is Wani, Wani Stephen. I am a tech and IP lawyer, uh, a South Sudanese tech and IP lawyer, born and raised in South Sudan. Stephen was born and raised in South Sudan, which was in the midst of a vicious war of independence against the Republic of Sudan. He recounts to me what it felt like growing up 
as a child in Sudan? So, so Sudan, Sudan by then, Sudan by then was, um, it was pretty, you know, the same thing that we're seeing in South Sudan now, the, uh, the Sudanese government by then ruled by force, you know, the, the security organs had a lot of, uh, powers, uh, to arrest people, to execute people because my father and his colleague, they were not, you know, uh, given the due justice process or, or due trial. So they were arrested and executed. Even the families did not see their bodies until now. So, so, so that was the environment where the, uh, the armed forces and the security could literally do anything and no one can say anything about it, you know. And uh, at night, there was what we call uh, Halat, halat uh, Tawari in uh, Arabic, which, which basically translates to state of emergency. So Juba uh, by then was in constant state of emergency, whereby from certain period of, of, of let's say from 8 p.m., even citizens are not allowed to move. So from 8 p.m., you're supposed to be in your house. You, you don't move. There is no nightlife, uh, nothing. Growing up, um, my, our family, my family wasn't, uh, let me just say we were poor. Like we were, we were literally poor. We're not the poorest. Yes. There are other people who like their condition were worse than ours, but we were uh, poor. We didn't have light. Um, uh, we didn't have TV, uh, so, so none of those things. So, you know, as a kid, sometimes uh, you want to, you know, watch those like movies and all that. So we we could go like uh, a very long distance, uh, you know, to, to watch TV. You know, sometimes we would go from our area to, let's say, another area because I used to live, uh, we used to live in Haimayo. So we'd go all the way from Haimayo to Hainegli. There was, uh, there was a businessman there who you know, who had TV in his house. So we'd go and watch TV, you know, at night. This is like past 8 p.m. And then when we were like, when we're done from watching the movies and all that, now we're coming back home. Uh, sometimes the military would chase us, you know, because we like, we have violated this, this, uh, this state of our emergency. You're going home before 8 p.m. and all that. So they will, they will like chase us in an attempt to, you know, to, to, uh, to arrest, you know, those that they can arrest. So it was, it, it was like that almost, you know, every now and then you go watch movie, you coming back home, you know, you will find uh, the military patrol. Uh, they will ask you to stop. You refuse to stop. They will chase you. So, so, so this, this have sort of like shaped a lot of like my evenings uh when i was young i remember one time uh one of my colleagues uh i mean one of my friends were arrested and uh, he was taken to the military to the military barracks and then what they used to do is that when they arrest you at night they would ask you to like they have like this uh, barrel like an empty barrel and then they would ask you to like fill it with water and they'll give you like something very small sometimes like a cup they would ask you to fill that barrel with the water using your cup or using a small cup. So you'll be doing that sometimes the whole night uh, until morning. Then in the morning, they will actually shave your hair. If you have hair, they will shave it. And then, you know, like they usually don't use proper shaving tools. It's just like sometimes a very old or rusty uh, razor blade. Uh, so, so, so they would, or sometimes not even with the laser blade. So they would shave your hair and then they would release you in the morning. So uh, I remember that particular night, uh, my friend was uh, arrested and then he was taken. We didn't know what to do. 
So we came uh, home, we slept in the morning, we informed his family, and then the family went now to look for him. Uh, eventually he was uh, released, but yeah, his, his, his uh, hair was shaved and then he told us all these stories that happened. I could not help but ask Stephen what effect growing up like this must have had on him. And he told me it had an overwhelming effect. It even influenced his decision growing up to become a lawyer. Well, as a kid, I didn't know what a lawyer was, <laughs> to be honest. But um, I had this belief that, uh, you know, uh, I just wanted to ask questions like, where is my father? Uh, what happened to them? And, you know, why, you know, like uh, they weren't uh, like, uh, justice were not, you know, uh, uh, given, you know, to them in terms of, you know, fair trial and all of that. So um, at some point, I wanted to be a, a, a journalist um, because I felt like through that, I can be able to ask the right question and ask the right people. Uh, but also my urge to, to uh, you know, to seek justice um, uh, for my father and uh, other victims of the 1992 massacre led me to, you know, to change my, uh, uh, my, my thought into whom I want to be. So that's where, like, when I sat for Sudan School Certificate uh, uh, in 2009, uh, I had only two options in my head. Uh, one is, you know, uh, School of Journalism, and then the second one was law. I didn't have any other third option. Uh, but yes, I was, I was eventually uh, admitted to a law school. And just when Stephen joined the university to study law, something happened. After years of war and thousands of lives lost, South Sudan was going to have the opportunity to vote for their independence through a referendum. And for Stephen, whose entire life has been shaped by this war, this was especially significant. The South Sudan uh, referendum. To me, it was, okay, this is it. What my father has started, I have to finish it. So in uh, 2011, as people were registering to vote for, for a referendum. Uh, I personally refused to register in, in, uh, in uh, Khartoum. So I, I left school when people were, you know, like the term is still going on. I came to South Sudan, uh, did the registration, um, waited until, uh, you know, uh, uh, January when people were voting. Uh, I voted, uh, waited a little bit longer. And then I went back uh, to Sudan after uh, the preliminary result was out. And at least uh, by then, the result was, was uh, confirmed that, uh, you know, people have voted uh, with huge majority to separation. So I felt like at least I have, um, you know, I have done something, you know, significant. I have at least, uh, you know, took the torch from my father and, and uh, you know, what he wanted to do. I am able to, you know, to, to accomplish it. From the voting process, people stood in line uh, from very early morning hours, people stood in line, you know, because literally every South Sudanese family had someone that were, you know, killed or lost or, or you know, lost like a dear one due to the conflict. So it was a collective feeling that, okay, yeah, this is what we have been fighting for and we have to, you know, to, to, uh, to not let our, 
our fallen heroes, you know, uh, their sacrifice to not let their sacrifices just go in vain. So it, 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 it was a very interesting moment. Um, and in July, when uh, like the official uh, date of, you know, uh, raising our flag, it, I, I, I really can't, you know, like describe it, but it's, it was like as if all our dreams, you know, coming into reality, you know, all and, and not only ours, but all our dreams. And, you know, for those who, who you know, uh, gave their life, uh for this country you know is is like we're now witnessing our flag going up so it was a very very uh, emotional uh moment uh, people were so full of hope we we had a lot of hope in how this country is supposed to be you know as young people uh, we, we we were imagining a lot of things now that you know uh we have our country but all that hope and imagination was short-lived. Following South Sudan's independence in 2011, several other civil wars broke out within the newly independent country, with corruption and leadership infighting further crippling the nation. I asked Stephen what it felt like seeing all the hopes of his people going up in flames. Uh to be honest it's it's um it's disappointing it's it's really disappointing because after independence um in 2011 we didn't really enjoy the fruit of our independence you know we didn't uh, get to live you know the hopes the the all these beautiful things that we want to see in south sudan we haven't seen them and uh, two years down the road you know from 2011 to uh, two years later uh, um a war erupted, you know, a civil war erupted in South Sudan. Uh, and then from there, it's constant, you know, uh, civil war after civil war. So 2013, the civil war uh, broke up in December. Uh, and then again in 2016, you know, so, so South Sudanese have not really enjoyed the fruits of, 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 you know, this country, you know, they've not enjoyed, uh, being South Sudanese. So, so, so this is really disappointing to a lot of us, uh, especially, you know, to me, uh, because I feel like, okay, you know, what have we done? Uh, our fathers, you know, uh, gave their life for this country. But when we look at this country today, there is no difference from what, you know, it was, you know, back in 1992 when I was born or even before that, you know, it's just a change in the system. Uh, it's no longer the Sudanese uh, government or, as we used to say, you know, the Jalaba or the Northerners who are committing those atrocities. But it is now South Sudanese committing atrocities against South Sudanese. So this is really, um, this is really bad, really disappointing. But against the odds, Stephen's commitment to his country is unwavering. And he takes his fight for his country a step further by choosing to run for public office. You know, South Sudan have joined the East African community. And within the East African community, one of the important organs of the East African community is the, legis the Legislative Assembly, the East African Legislative Assembly, IALA. So I, um, <laughs> I contested as an independent uh, candidate. Uh, that basically means, you know, I... I I wasn't agreeing with any of the political parties. I wasn't a member. I'm still not a member in any political party. 
Uh, so I contested as an independent uh, candidate and uh, it was it was quite impressive to see a lot of young people were supporting me and and uh, you know uh, asking how can we help how can we vote uh, how can we be part of this you know because I felt like we can effect a lot of changes like if we can do it within South Sudan due to a lot of uh, uh, limitations that are there we can do it from the regional level so 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 that's why I went to to um, uh, I contested uh, and I wanted to actually represent South Sudan at East African Legislative Assembly. Uh, the process was very interesting. Uh, there is a lot of, there was a lot of support from young people and even from old people. Uh, some, some people who belong to, you know, different political parties, they have really lobbied and, and uh, supported um, uh, my campaign. I, I, I am really grateful for that. Uh, a lot of young people gave their time, uh, their energy, and even resources, you know, to, to, to support the campaign. But once again, the forces Stephen has been contending with his entire life emerged. There was a lot of intimidation, right, <laughs> from, different, uh, uh, from, from, from different entities. Um, and also uh, the leading uh, political party, uh, SPLA, uh, SPLM, uh, a day before the election, uh, SPLM decided to to uh, to make what they called uh, guidance or guiding principles for you know the East African Legislative Assembly elections, and in that they have literally uh, pointed that you know members of the parliament who are who are who are the voters should not vote for any candidate uh, for any independent candidate, you know. And I, I was I was so furious because this is a clear, you know, violation with democratic process. You know, you can't just tell voters what to do. It was it was it was really bad. Um, I wanted to withdraw <laughs> by then when I had that when I saw the uh, the press release. I I wanted to withdraw my uh, my my nomination because of that. Uh, but a lot of young people said, um, you know, we let's do it. Uh, let's let's uh, let's uh, challenge uh, this. Let's also tell you know the people that despite all the limitations, despite all the restraints that are there, young people are young people are able to do you know uh, uh, something. Young people are offering themselves. They want to contribute. They want to serve this country. So so uh, yeah, I, I uh, eventually I listened to some of my colleagues. And um, as much as I did not win uh, to represent South Sudan in East African uh, Legislative Assembly, but I feel like we have already won. You know, we, we have inspired a lot of young people to, to, to engage in these political processes, uh, to exercise their civic and political right. Inspiring other young people in South Sudan and indeed across Africa is very important to Stephen. With over 73% of its population under the age of 30, South Sudan has one of the world's youngest populations and Stephen believes these young people hold the power to unlock South Sudan's future. Um, I think until now, uh, as young people in this country, we have not yet realized our collective power. You know, we, we, we form the majority uh, of the population in this country. But when you look at 
the people who are governing us, the people who are leading us. This, 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 um, uh, for lack of a better word, these are very old people, you know, uh, people who might not understand, uh, you know, the, the current world that we're living in, you know, they're still doing their things, you know, the old way. So, um, uh, and, and, and these are the people that have financial muscles, you know, and because of that, uh, they use young people as fuel for their interests. So if their interest is, for example, to for, for a mini, you know, violence or war to erupt in a certain place, uh, it is the young people that fight, you know, uh, from 2013 until now, it is the young people that die, you know, in these wars. Um, so, so we need to, as young people, we need to wake up. We need to realize that we have, uh, power, uh, if we collectively unite and we say no. We are not going to to uh, to allow ourselves and our colleagues and our comrades to be used as as uh, you know as as uh, as pawn in this uh, chess game that the government and the politicians are doing. So um, and the future is so bright. Once we do that, we can realize the country that we want. Um, so so as young people, we have a very big big role to play. Uh, one is that we need to educate other young people. Uh, and equip them with tools and, and, uh, resources to make them independent, you know, from, uh, whoever that they follow. And they need to also, you know, um, get, they need to, if they, if they want to follow people, let them, uh, let them follow because of their ideologies, not because of maybe this person is providing for them or not because this person is uh, from their tribe or from their village. So, so we need to reach into that. And, um, it is a collective responsibility. Uh, we have to invest. We have to invest effort, time, uh, and even resources to make sure that we, we, we educate the young people. There is no doubt that the youths of Africa hold the key to unlocking the future of the continent. As an African youth myself, I have met countless African youths, but at home, and in the diaspora, doing the most incredible and innovative things. But when it comes to taking our rightful place at the driving seat of the continent, we continue to fall short. I asked Stephen why this is the case, and what he would say to fellow African youths in a bid to overcome this. I would say the same thing I, I usually say for young people in South Sudan when, when, when occasionally we meet. There is power in organization, you know, organize. Um, if you want to run for an office, don't start three months before the election, you know, start two years early. Uh, if you, if, 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 if you want to do anything, organize, you know, once we are organized, nothing can stand in our way. But if we are not organized, believe me, we cannot do anything. So as, as, uh, as, uh, as young people, uh, in this continent, in South Sudan, Nigeria, or whatever part of the, uh, African continent you are, you are from, make sure you organize. Have a clear goal. Organize yourself, uh, in, 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 you know, groups. Reach out, uh, lobby, uh, get your numbers together and then wait for that thing that you want to do. Believe me. Nothing will stand in your way. 
Speaking with Stephen had been a remarkable experience and I was truly inspired by his passion for his country. It is a passion and patriotism that is dying slowly among some African youths who are desperate to leave the continent for greener pastures abroad. Now, seeing the challenges and opposition he faces in his country, despite his best intentions, I ended our interview by asking Stephen if he ever sees himself joining the cascade of young people leaving the continent for greener pastures, to which he gave me a most remarkable response. <laughs> okay, um, this this is very interesting. Um, in 2017, I um, I I. My first time to leave the continent, I went to um, I went to Europe. I went to uh, Spain, Barcelona, uh, to attend a conference that was organized by Barcelona in Common called uh, Fearless Cities. So someone asked the same question, you know, uh, in relation to you know the, the the African migration and all that. And 2017, South Sudan was in. Um, you know, it was it was a bit problematic, yeah. Like it's just few months from the war; people are still fighting here and there. So they asked me whether I want to stay in Spain, you know. And then some colleagues were willing to to you know to to facilitate that. Um, I told them that if all of us run, if all of us uh, went to seek you know better or greener pastures outside we're leaving the country or we're leaving the continent in the hands of those who would even make it worse. So uh, to answer that question, uh, no, <laughs> nope, nope, nope. I, I don't see myself, you know, living out of the continent, living out of South Sudan. Um, not only because I, I uh, not only because I, you know, uh, can't stay outside of South Sudan because my family, my life is here, but also because I love my country so much. I love this continent so much. So I, 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 I can't imagine my life, you know, out of that, you know. So, so no, I am not uh, seeing myself outside of South Sudan. I would constantly be in South Sudan unless, of course, for political reason, I, I was I'm forced to leave South Sudan. But I would not even leave South Sudan to go to uh, to leave the continent. I I I may go to Nigeria <laughs> or Ghana, but I will come back because one thing that I always say that South Sudanese love their 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 country. If there is conflict, if there is anything, we run to the nearest uh, you know uh, place, nearest country, where we can stay for a while, and once there is uh, you know relative peace, we come back. So similarly to me, I'm not seeing myself leaving the country for good. Uh, for political reason, if I am forced to leave, I may, I may go for a couple of months, years maybe, then I'll be back. This episode of The Climb Podcast was hosted and edited by Jewel Atedu Bright. Special thanks to Stephen Wani for allowing us tell his story. The Climb Podcast is a podcast collaboration between the Channels Media Group and the Feroz Lalji Institute for Africa 
at the London School of Economics and Political Science. Thank you for listening.